my uh, joy to be with you here this morning. Uh, as many of you know, Chris and Aaron uh, just added Daisy Jane to the family, and so he's taken a few weeks off uh, from preaching, uh, not from everything else, but from preaching as they're getting used to seven kids. Uh, and so it is my great privilege to get to speak to you this morning. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, I just want to say again, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here to worship Jesus with us. Um, today we're in Mark chapter 10, so if you want to go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter 10, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, our ushers would love to give you one. You just kind of raise your hand up. You can borrow one of ours. Uh, just keep that hand raised, and they will come with one of those. There's Josh right there. Uh, Mark chapter 10, and also just say, if you don't own a, a copy of God's Word and you'd like to keep one of these, uh, we would love to give it to you. Uh, so you can just take that with you as you go today. Uh, it should be page on that Bible. I think it's Starts on page 845. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and read Mark chapter 10. Now, uh, before we jump in and read where we are, uh, Mark is roughly split into kind of two halves. Uh, uh, an easy way to think about it is think King's Cross, uh, which is a book by Tim Keller uh, that he, he named, uh, that as he goes through Mark, he named it King's Cross, and that's always stuck with me. The first half of Mark is roughly, roughly about how Jesus is the king, and the second half of Mark is roughly about how the king is headed towards the cross. And so we're now in that. We've been traveling through Mark for a while. We're now in that second half. And Jesus, in, in basically in that whole second half of Mark, is heading towards Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be crucified for our sins. And so as he's going there, he's teaching along the way. And in this specific part of Mark 10, he's teaching about discipleship and about what it looks like to follow him in every avenue of life. Uh, one commentator put it this way, the dominant emphasis of this next phase of Jesus' teaching is the radical difference between the conventional values hitherto espoused by the disciples and by the society to which they belong and the new perspective of the kingdom of God. So he's saying, he's saying in a lot of ways, what Mark is highlighting in chapter 10 is how Jesus' values and the values of the kingdom of God say one thing and then the society in which they're living and the society in which we're living tends to say another. And Jesus is saying, following me means in every avenue of your life, letting me be Lord. And so we're going to see how that hits us straight away here today as we talk about uh, divorce and marriage in this passage. Um, let's go ahead and jump into this. Well, before we jump in and read it, I'll give this caveat. Um, I am from a, a parents that divorced. I'm from a, a family that didn't make it in that regard. Um, I uh, was, hopefully I don't cry. I have no intention of crying, but I might. Um, but I was midway through high school when my parents split up. And I ended up leaving Colorado, which is where I still consider myself from, and ended up in Mississippi, and it was hard. And in, uh, in a lot of ways... That marks my life as much as anything else. Um, I think my wife, also from a split family, I didn't ask her, but I think she would probably say the same thing. And in many ways, that event has marked her life as much as any other event. Um, and you probably, a lot of you may have similar stories. Or maybe that's not you, but you are divorced. Or you're the divorcee. Or you've been wronged. And so all of us probably in some way or another have been touched by this issue. And I have absolutely no intention of trying to heap 
guilt on any of you today. Because what I want to preach to you is grace from Jesus. Because he loves us so much. And so if Jesus, our perfect friend, says to us some hard things today, he says them as someone who loves us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And not someone who's trying to look down upon us or hurt us in any way. But it's someone who loves us and cares for us and wants what's best for our lives. Um, so that's my caveat. Sorry. Mark 10. Let's go ahead and read this together so I can get it together again. Beginning with verse 1. This is what it says. It says, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, let's go ahead and turn over uh, to Matthew 19, which is the same story. He adds slightly different details that I just want you to see. Um, but it's the same occurrence. Different gospel writers highlight different things the same way that you might retell a story slightly differently than your buddy. You're not telling different truths. You're just highlighting different details. Matthew, it's almost the same. But in Matthew 19, verse 1, he says, Now, when Jesus had finished, saying, uh, finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him and healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Notice he adds that, for any cause. He answered, have you not read, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples part here is a little different too. It says, the disciples said to him, if such is the case for a man with his wife, they're shocked, at, frankly, at Jesus' teaching. And they say, the disciples said to him, if such is the case, of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
But he's, they're like, well, that's a really hard thing, Jesus. Maybe we shouldn't get married at all. Uh, but Jesus says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. In other words, a few people are called, some people are called to singleness, but the majority of us are not called to that. And so it's, marriage is hard, and it's a serious thing, and you shouldn't enter into it lightly. But just because of that doesn't mean you shouldn't get married. It's kind of the way, what he's saying. And he says, um, for there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made, who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that the one who's able to receive this, receive it. Uh, now, there's so much that we could touch on in these two passages, and we don't have time to hit all of it. But I do want to show you three, kind of point out three main things in this passage today. The first is the context of this discussion that the Pharisees are attempting to have uh, with Jesus. That's point number one, context. The second is God's intention for marriage. And then the third is this kind of a big question, which is where do we go from here? Being that most of us are broken in some way by marriage or divorce or relationships or we're screwed up. And so there may be a bunch of different things we need to hear. So I want to I try to help God. It's where do, where do we go from here as a result? But the first thing that we need to understand is the context. Um, going back to Mark, the first thing just to notice, and we're not going to go way into this, is it says, the Pharisees came up in verse 2 in order to test him. So in some ways, they're looking to, to get Jesus in trouble, which is normally what they're trying to do. Uh, we don't know in what way that they're trying to test him. But remember, John the Baptist spoke up about Herod's marriage and uh, to his, his uh, what's her name? I forget her name, but uh, his, his new wife, who was his, his brother's wife previously, and she had divorced his brother and now married Herod, and, and John the Baptist got killed for it. So that could be their aim, you know, trying to get Jesus killed uh, later on. They succeed in that endeavor. Uh, or it could just be that they know Jesus is in some way going to offend somebody, and so they're bringing up this issue. But, but they're trying to test him, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing that you need to be aware of is that there was this big discussion going on in Judaism that time amongst all the rabbis about divorce. The Old, the Old Testament only mentions divorce in a few places, and, and the main passage is Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24 says this in the Old Testament law. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. And she is, after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So when they come up and ask Jesus this question, they're mainly worried about this passage. And the discussion, which is a peculiar passage, and I admit on the surface of it, it sounds demeaning towards women just reading it. You're like, what is going on here? We'll get to that more in a minute. But the main discussion was over this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he then writes her a certificate of divorce. The discussion was over what does indecency mean? And so that's really the Pharisee's question to Jesus. Jesus, what does indecency mean? 
what are the reasons that we can justifiably divorce our wives and not be in trouble for it, not be adulterers for it? What does indecent mean, Jesus? I think that's really what they're asking. That was all the discussion. And there was this document called the Mishnah in those days that was basically like their big commentary that they all referred to. And it had all the interpretive ideas of the leading rabbis of the time in the Mishnah, and they would quote the Mishnah to one another. Well, such and such says this, and such and such guy says this, and such and such guy says this. And so that's in the context when they're asking Jesus this question to try to get him in trouble. And here's what the Mishnah actually in, in Gittin 910, I have no idea if that's how you pronounce that, but Gittin 910, and the Mishnah says this. It says, the house of Shammai, who's one of the rabbis, the house of Shammai says a man should divorce his wife only because he's found grounds for the divorce in her unchastity. In other words, adultery, sexual immorality of some point. So that's what the house of Shammai says. Since it says, because the Lord has found some, uh, because he has found some indecency in her. But the house of Hillel says, even if she spoiled his dish, so if she burns dinner, that's indecent enough. Get rid of this broad. Arakiba, so here's another rabbi. Arakiba says, even if he's found someone prettier than she. So, married to her, she's looking pretty good, but this one over here is looking better. We're done with this. And this is actually the context of the question that they're asking Jesus. What do you say, Jesus? Is it burnt dinner? Is it who's the prettiest? Is it I'm just trying to advance myself to the best possible marriage possible? Or is it sexual immorality? Or what do you say? As the passage indicates, is what James Edwards says, the Jews and the Jewish law were agreed that divorce was permissible. No one was asking, is divorce wrong? They were asking, when can we do it? How easy is it to get out of this? Again, James Edwards, the Pharisees reflect the view that marriage is a disposable contractual arrangement. Twice they inquire about possible grounds for its dissolution. Their attitude reminds us of a person who's just been granted a bank loan and then asks under what conditions he might be absolved from repaying it. And Jesus just totally goes the other direction on him, doesn't he? So Jesus says, verse 4, they, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, this is because of your hardness of heart that he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, let's go back from that writing of Moses to an earlier writing of Moses in Genesis. Let's, let's move from De Deuteronomy back to the beginning and ask, what was, how was this thing supposed to go down? And Jesus says, but from the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, cleave to his wife, and, and the two shall be one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're wondering, how can I get out of this thing? And there are some legitimate reasons to get out of it, and we'll address that near to the end of the sermon. But Jesus says, your focus should be on, why do we have marriage? What's God's intention in this thing? Why do we do this thing? 
How can I excel in this thing? And he reminds us of just a few things. The first is he says, this, this divorce thing, it was because of hardness of hearts. In other, in other words, it was because of sin. There are situations where a marriage needs to be dissolved. Uh, here's what Leon Morris, he says, Leon Morris says. He says, the Pharisees go beyond Scripture. Moses did not command divorce. He pointed to current custom and did something to regulate it. He said, when a man writes her bill of divorce, but this is a long way from commanding. The Pharisees assume that the dissolution of marriage was part of the will of God in instituting the marriage state. This Jesus denies. Another commentator, the intent of Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 was manifold. Most obviously, this was intriguing to me as I read this. I had never heard this. Most obviously, it discouraged hasty divorces by requiring a man to actually stipulate the reason that he was divorcing his wife in writing and also by providing him, uh, prohib prohibiting him from remarrying his divorced wife. The certificate of divorce guaranteed the divorcee at least a modicum of dignity and the right to remarry another man if she chose. It thus safeguarded the rights of women as much as possible in a patriarchal culture. Thus, as originally intended, Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 did not encourage divorce, but rather it attempted to preserve an equitable ruling in the unfortunate event of divorce. Leon Morris goes on to say, and even say this even clearer, in Moses' day, divorce evidently did need regulation. It would seem that prior to the regulation in Deuteronomy, women were in a more, more than difficult position. It was possible for a husband to reject his wife, and put her out of his house. But if she tried to contract marriage with another man, and he says, and there was little future in a patriarchal society for women not attached to a man of some kind, then a mischievous husband could claim that she was still his wife. So see, first husband puts her out, doesn't technically divorce her. She goes, tries to find another man because she's just trying to survive. And then first husband goes, no, she's still my wife. Legally, there was nothing she could do about it. When Moses took note of the ills that could be done towards women and provided for divorce, he was giving the repudiated wives a little measure of protection. Until the husband gave a wife a certificate of divorce, she was still his wife, and he still owed her the duty that any husband owed, the wife, owed his wife. When he had given the certificate, she was no longer his wife, and he had no claim on her. Her position might still be difficult but at least she was freed from any arbitrary reclaiming of her by her former husband. And so that's the intent of the original command given by Moses and God in the Old Testament. But notice again, the point is not, so plan on divorce. The, the issue was, if it comes to that, if you have to get divorced, then this is the way it should be done to protect the women. But Jesus is, is trying to urge us to notice that his plan, God's plan from the beginning, is not that marriage would end in divorce. That's not the reason that he created it. He says, he says notice again, he says, because of your hardness of heart, because of these sinful situations, because the earth is wrecked and not the way that it should be, Moses provided a way for you to divorce. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. And what God has therefore joined together, let no man separate. He says that, that's the intention of divorce, of, of marriage, not divorce. That's the intention of marriage. This. You remember when Adam was created, God let him go through this little exercise, and he said, you name all the animals. And, and Adam did this, and so he, he, that must have been a lot of fun, you know, like certain going, wow, look at that one, you know, we're going to call you alligator, uh, you know, and he's, he's checking them all out, you know, the elephant, you know, and leopard and duck-billed platypus. I don't know where that one came from, but, you know, he's, he's going through and he's naming them all, and then, and then God set up the whole thing so that at the end of it, Adam would kind of go, hey, there's, there's two of all these other animals. <laughs> there's only one of me. And for the first time in Genesis, the Bible actually says, it was not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Because up until that point, everything that God had created was good. It was good. It was good. God created light. It was good. God created day and night. It was good. God created stars. It was good. God created animals and fish and birds. It was good. It was good. It was good. All of a sudden, you got a man without a wife, and it's, it's not good. And so God created marriage from the beginning. Male and female, Genesis is really clear. They're both created in his image. They're both equal in his sight. Women are not demeaned in any way. Men are not over women in a demeaning way. They have a lead role to play, but they're equal in God's sight. And it's not good for man to be alone. And so marriage is created for friendship and for companionship. And so if you're in a marriage, this should be your, your deepest and most meaningful friendship. Marriage is the place where you can be completely known, and they can be completely known, and where you can be naked and unashamed in front of each other, and where no one knows you as well as your spouse. Tim Keller says, for in a moment, there are moments in marriage where you experience such joy being with the one that you're committed to and covenanted to, that you experience just that little bit of heaven, because you're known and loved, and you feel that in a real way, that you're perfectly loved, for who you are. The Bible, New Testament teaches us that our marriages image forth God's love for us. And so in those good moments in our marriage, when we really taste the joy of, of this intimate relationship with one another, what we're tasting is the love that the Father has for us. And it's this picture to the whole world of how much God loves us. What does Jesus say? He says, marriage is one. It's, it's one man and one woman. So sometimes with the sexual uh, revolution that's going on in our society, people say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality or things like that. Here he says, marriage is one man and one woman. That was God's intent. I don't say that to make anybody feel sad or beat down. That's what Jesus tells us. Jesus also points out, he says that when a man and a woman come together for marriage, he says, he leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. So he leaves his household and forms a, a new household. Here's what James Edwards says. He says, um, Jesus declares that a husband's obligation to his wife 
surpasses his obligation to his own parents. In the Torah, the commandment to honor one's parents is one of the Ten Commandments of God and second only to the commandment to honor God. But the effect of verse 7 is to declare that a husband's allegiance to his wife in the union of marriage surpasses his allegiance to his father and mother, making marriage second only to obedience to God and sacredness. The union of male and female in marriage results in one flesh, a new creation itself, no longer two, but one. So the man leaves his father and mother, gets a job, starts preparing a house, cleaves to his wife, and they form a new house, a new household. That's God's intention for marriage. And then they're joined by God. Do you notice this? This is actually quite, you think about this in the next marriage ceremony you're at. The two shall become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So when you're married, biblical marriage, God joins you together. You're in a covenant relationship with your spouse, and then God blesses that covenant relationship and says, I'm the one making ultimately this joining together of these two people happen. Right? This is why writing your own marriage vows, no offense if you did that, it's not as good as just going with the old vows. Because the old vows don't say anything about how much you love or how in love you are or how much that other person's beautiful or out of that. What does it say? It, it talks all about in the event that this happens, I'm still with you. For richer or for poor, I covenant. In sickness and in health, I covenant till death do us part. These are real vows. I'm with you. I'm covenanting together. God's joining us together. Let not anybody separate this. I'm with you. I'm for you. You're my equal. We're forming this new household. God loves it. God says this is the intention for marriage. And we could go into a lot more. And we don't have time to today. But then the disciples in both these passages are, are confused. And in Mark, it says, in the house, so as often is the case, Jesus teaches publicly, and then the disciples pull him aside in the house, and they say, they ask him again about this matter. And he said, look, here's the deal. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another, commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And in the Matthew passage, they say, well, like, Jesus, this is hard. Like, like maybe we should just get married at all if it's this serious. I mean, again, I think they're reflecting um, their culture, which was so used to the idea of divorce. Like, divorce is no big deal that, that they're like, what, you mean there's, like, no way out of this? <laughs> You mean like this is like for real, for real? They're like, that's kind of hard, Jesus. It shocks them the same way that it perhaps shocks us. And Jesus says, yeah. It was created to be an eternal union. But where do we go from here? Because as I stated in the beginning, like we are all in some way or another touched by divorce. And we all find ourselves in some ways sexually broken, right? And relationship-wise broken. And some of us are divorced and remarried, and some of us aren't, but maybe we feel like we're headed that way, or, or maybe we're just the children 
of divided families. And so like, like what, is, what does this passage say to us? And so I just want to pull together a few thoughts here and help us to move forward. The first thing is that I just want you to see that the Jesus teaching on marriage is shocking. There are few legitimate reasons for us to end a marriage. That's what Jesus is saying. And we should not enter into this thing lightly. And we should not enter into it flippantly. I remember working with a guy at Starbucks back in the day, and his, I remember he was, um, he wasn't a believer, you know. But his attitude was, it's like, well, you know, he was dating this girl at the time. He's like, she really wants to get married, so I guess I'm going to do it. Like, that was all, like, that was his, to, to the totality of the reason he was doing it. And that didn't last. Jesus says, that's not the way you enter into this thing. We're, we're committed to one another. But Jesus does say, and I, and I want to highlight on this, he does say that there are legitimate reasons. That The first he mentions in Matthew says, except for adultery or except for sexual immorality. And so there are situations where you've been cheated on, you've been wronged, in such a horrific manner that you're not sure that this relationship can ever be repaired. And I believe, Matthew, we should take it at face value. Jesus says it's a legitimate reason for divorce. Yeah, Paul mentions another one in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, in 1 Corinthians, or in the city of Corinth, there are all these people that were coming to faith, and they were already married. And he says, the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him, for the unbelieving husband is, is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Or how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether or not you will save your wife? And so what Paul's saying is, in the case of, of families that are together and one person becomes a believer and the other is not a believer, and, and he says, try to live together, try to maintain the marriage. But if the unbelieving partner one day just says, look, I'm, I'm out. I can't deal with you and your God, and we're just on completely two different pages. He says, I'm out. And so this is often called abandonment. And we put it under that category. There are others of you that have perhaps been in situations where you felt abandoned. Maybe there was abuse. And your partner has functionally abandoned you and you need to get out. And that is okay. And you should not feel guilty. In fact, I'll just say real clearly, because this is a big issue in our times. If you right now are in a situation where you're in any danger from abuse, physically, sexually, or anything like that, get out. We support you in that. We're not against you in that. Come talk to us. We want to be your advocate. That doesn't always mean that you necessarily got to end in divorce, but you need to be in a safe place. It's abandonment. Your partner has abandoned you. Here's how, and this is the most helpful way for me to think about it. Here's how Tim Keller described divorce. It's, it's extreme, he says. It's like amputating a limb. 
sometimes you got to amputate a limb to keep the person alive. But it should be the last thing. It's the last resort. You try medicine. You try IVs. You go see the doctors. You try surgery. You do whatever you can do to try to save this. But if it absolutely can't be saved, then the doctor says, I think we need to amputate so that you don't die. And so you amputate as a last resort because you have to. And that's how we should think about divorce. There are legitimate reasons for divorce, but it's extreme, and we should not run to it. But sometimes it's needed in order to save a life. And so the Bible says, adultery, sexual immorality, abandonment, these are legitimate reasons. Permissible does not always mean wise or advisable. You may be married to a spouse and they've sinned against you sexually and I want to encourage you to seek reconciliation if you can at all costs. Don't dissolve the covenant that you've entered into just recklessly. If you can forgive them, forgive them because you've been greatly forgiven. But if you have to, I believe the Bible says you can. Conclusions. Following Jesus means being out of step with the world. The values of the kingdom rarely align with the values of our culture. This is not what our culture teaches about marriage and divorce. But I think it is what Jesus teaches about it. God loves us and wants what is best for us. And this includes sexually and maritally. Don't believe the lie of the serpent to Eve. God's not out to get you or to make your life hard. He loves you. This is, this is what I want to hit on real quick. I think the way that our culture and, and oftentimes the way that the enemy attacks us in regards to this issue and wanting to just be done with a marriage and, and just run out of it is, is and, and even what God teaches as a whole about sexuality and relationships is, is the, the serpent comes to us very much the way that he came to Eve. He says, did God really say that? Ooh, sounds kind of like a lame dude. It doesn't sound like he has your best interests at heart. It sounds like he's trying to keep something from you. If he really loved you, would he say something like that? And many, many times you and I are tempted the very same way. We know God's standards here. We're tempted to cross it. And the way that we justify wanting to cross it is that we begin to think in our hearts, maybe God doesn't know what he's talking about in this area. Maybe I really will be happier if I do my own thing in this thing. Maybe God doesn't really understand what I'm going through. If he did, certainly he'd allow me. And so we're tempted the same way that Eve was tempted to believe that God doesn't want our best. And, and what, what Jesus is here teaching about marriage and what the Bible is teaching about marriage is is God's best for us. He created us. He knows how we work, and he wants our very best. And he did not give us these commandments and, and this word to try to, to try to clamp us down or because he's out to get us or because he doesn't want our best. He, he gave us this because he loves us so unbelievably, and he knows how he made us, and he knows that he made us to be in marital relationships, and he says, this is how they work best, and I'm for you. I'm not against you. Here's the other thing. 
going back to what I said at the very beginning, you know, if, if you're here today and you, you've been touched by this and you would maybe say now in retrospect, yeah, I made some mistakes. I ended that marriage prematurely. I didn't really fight for it. Here's what Jesus feels towards you. Remember the woman caught in adultery? And all the society were getting ready to stone her, all the Pharisees. And Jesus comes up and he goes, He who's without sin cast the first stone. And they all said, Oh man, yeah, we're we're screwed up too. And they all left one by one. And Jesus looked at this woman who'd made a mistake and he goes, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so, regardless of where we are, there's abundant grace. There's abundant grace for strength to continue in, maybe perhaps a marriage that's in many ways rocky. There's abundant grace supplied for you to forgive people that have wronged you. There's abundant grace for you to put the past behind you and know that you've made mistakes, but to keep walking with Jesus today. There's abundant grace for you if you're struggling with same-sex attraction and you're scared to admit it. Even if you're in that place, Jesus loves you. He'll say to you, you need to follow my ways. You need to follow my path sexually. But he loves you in your sin. He doesn't condemn you. There's grace for us that are engaged in thinking about marriage, and we need help just to get through that. There's grace for us that are single and wondering if we're ever going to get married. And we're going, I'm starting to feel like one of those ones that's never going to get married, but I don't want to be that person. And Jesus says, I'm with you in the midst of that, and there's grace for you, and I love you. And I could go on and on. But God loves us so much. This is how much God loves us. That when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. God shows his love to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And so wherever you are, this Philippians 3 passage really rung true with me. Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wherever you are at, wherever you are, know that God loves you. Trust him that his ways are best and seek to follow him. Let's pray. Father, I feel frankly discombobulated trying to pull all this together. And so I just pray, regardless of what came from me, that you would just speak clearly to our hearts. Father, I want so much for the marriages in here to just be godly, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, wonderful places of love 
I long for the families at 24 Church to be just pictures to the world who, who don't know you of how much you love us and how life is meant to be lived. And so I pray firstly, Father, that you would just strengthen every single marriage in this room. Father, if there are marriages on the rocks, I pray that people would be honest, that they're struggling and that would seek help, whether that be through talking to pastors or going to counseling, telling their MC, but Father, that we would fight to have godly marriages. And Father, I pray that we would be a place that absolutely in the midst of brokenness and we're, we're broken and, and we've made mistakes and there are many things that if we could go back, maybe we'd do them differently, Father. But I pray in the midst of that brokenness that we would feel just as much love from you and that we would know that you are God who abundantly forgives and there's grace no matter what situation we find ourselves in. And Father, pray that we would decide that, yes, I've made mistakes in the past, but from this day forward, with the grace of Jesus, I want to live for him. I want to live for the glory of God. Father, would you meet us wherever we are in all our different struggles? Would you help us to see what your word teaches and to believe that you have our best interests in heart and to submit to you and to love you, that you would be our vision. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.